Hey everybody, Russell here. Thanks so much for listening to Tim Chapter 7, or the Tale of Tim Chapter 7, or whatever I decide to title this chapter when I post it, because that's always the last thing that I do, because titles are hard. Uh, and so was this chapter right, so sorry that it took so long, but this was a tough nut to crack, uh, but I wanted to make sure that I got it uh, right for you guys, and in the in the week that it was supposed to come out, at least, um, uh, I, I'm pretty happy with it, so I hope that you are too. Uh, so I'm not going to talk too much, and I'm just going to let you listen to this episode since it's probably uh, Saturday morning uh, by the time you finally got it instead of Wednesday. Uh, so at least it's a treat for your weekend. But if you are listening to this to the, the weekend that it came out, uh, Beth is at TwitchCon this weekend in Las Vegas. So if you are there um, today <laughs> or tomorrow, uh, the 21st or the 22nd of October, go say hi to Beth uh, and check out her artwork, uh, the new uh, Foul Birds collection and all her Poke Pantry stuff and all of her great artwork will be available there. Uh, and if you can't make it to the con, her website, uh, radshop.cool, and you can get all things Beth over there. Uh, follow us on Instagram, at uh, Pod. And if you have questions about the show, you can email us at dndndpod at gmail.com. Uh, and if you have questions about Season 5, you can start emailing those to us for our uh, D&D and D&D, I think that's four, uh, discussion episode, which we will be having uh, sooner than later. We're, we're not quite there yet, uh, but we are nearing the end of Season 5 without giving anything away. Uh, so if you have questions about the season or about the show in general, you can send those our way, and we will once again have a season-ending uh, discussion episode to... Um, answer those questions and talk about the show and stuff okay that is enough of the rambling now let's read the words that I wrote and get into the chapter so thanks everybody Uh, do what's fun When Tim was ten years old, he finally heard three magic words he had been waiting his whole life to hear. Come on, lad, Horsemaster Jace half grunted as he fastened the last of the harnesses, jumped into the driver's box, and held a hand out to little Tim. It was less than a decade ago, but even then the old Horsemaster was spry enough not only to jump into the box, but to all but lift the boy up with one arm. Granted then, as now, Tim wasn't the heaviest sack in the stall. When Tim hit the seat, the whole cart shook from his excitement. Jace had, of course, screamed, Come on, lad! at Tim in the sense of, Come on, lad, get your ass moving and get these chores done, or, Come on, lad! through clenched jaw to say, Come on, lad, what did you think was going to happen running downstairs with a bucket of oil the size of my gut? But this time it meant, Come on, lad, it's time for an adventure. The day before, the new constable arrived at the stables with a letter from his brother, the Lord Stokeworth of the Amber Erie. Apparently, the Lord had himself a row with a traveling magician of some sort, and now finds his woodland castle overrun by an abundance of horses. Too many for the forest-covered hills and crags of his land, and wouldn't her ladyship the Countess benefit from such a boon in her rolling plains? 
While Tim couldn't read then, scarcely could now, the letter jutting from the constable's pocket didn't look like the rough scrawlings the soldiers left around, but more like the loops and swirls of Quartermaster Bree's orders. Must be a lord thing, Tim thought. As it happens, constable, thanks to your newly created office and that business down Crestra way, we are down below optimal operating numbers, you see, so on behalf of Her Grace, I will accept his lordship's generous offer, providing these magic horses pass an inspection, of course. Can't trust magic, but I can trust myself. But of course, Horsemaster, I wouldn't expect anything less. We can leave in the morning. We, we can, well, I, I, I wasn't expecting you to be joining, Constable, I... Nonsense, Horsemaster. Not only twas my very brother who extended this offer, but the forests around the Erie can be difficult to navigate. All due respect, but I've been trodden the old call road longer than you've been alive. Much longer from the looks of it. Again, all due respect. I don't need an escort fresh from his house captain's training yard. Perhaps an extra pair of hands, then. My house captain also trained me well with our horses. And if what my brother says is true, you surely won't be able to drive them all back yourself. Jace's eyes narrowed. Tim looked between the two men, confused. The constable, young though he was, stood a fair bit taller than Jace, though it wouldn't be long before Tim would also tower over his boss. His predominantly white uniform suited him, and brought out his fair, well-kept features. He rested his left hand, not on the hilt of his stunning, ruby-pommeled sword, but casually at his hip. His right was held close to his chin as if about to stroke his short, pointed beard. He wasn't quite smiling, but his eyes looked like they wanted to, like they were having their own conversation with Jace's furrowed brow that Tim couldn't hear. Something in that silent exchange led the horsemaster to reply, Of course I won't need your help. I'm taking the boy. Tim dropped his pail and brush, splashing himself in his surroundings as excitement flooded his veins and made his arms go temporarily numb. He couldn't believe it. The horsemaster promised one day, Tim, maybe if he did everything right, had maybe, would get the chance to maybe leave and go on one of these errands, but if he knew that the day would be today, he would have changed his socks. Tim's ruckus finally broke the silent dialogue between the locked eyes of Stokeworth and Jace. Constable even took half a step to help the lad, but Tim quickly busied himself inspecting the quality of the shovel he had knocked over, definitely hanging on to his dignity. When Stokeworth finally did turn back to the conversation, the out loud one, his lips curled in the smile they had been begging for since he first entered the stable. He bent over Jace, not with menace, Tim could tell, but with clear intent, and said, Very well, Horsemaster. You surely would know that I would not need a contrivance to visit my lordly brother. I could simply go on my own if I wanted. Tim understood the words, but the way Stokeworth spoke was as if he were speaking a very different language. If your lordship wishes to take a journey, that is up to your lordship. It seemed that Chase also knew this secret dialect. Something was being said Tim didn't understand. But then again, he was ten. I don't feel now would be a good time for a personal visit. I'm reminded of some great wisdom I heard somewhere. I can't trust magic, but I can trust myself. There was a pause as the discussion continued in silence. Tim was afraid to breathe for fear of interrupting. Just when he thought he was about to pass out, Jace held out a hand. Right then, constable. See you in the morning. Right even early. 
The constable embraced Chase's hand in his own, nodded, and turned to go. As he left the open stable doors, he paused, winked at Tim, who finally gasped for air. The next morning, after the horsemaster lifted Tim into the driver's box, after he stopped vibrating, but before the cart arrived at the constable's terrace house, Tim furrowed his brow, confused about the strange events that led him to this journey. Horsemaster? Tim questioned, without taking his eyes off the gray stones of the road in front of them. What made you change your mind yesterday? And why did it matter if the constable joined us? Listen to me, boy. If someone like that... He pointed with the crop toward the constable's walkway, where the man was waiting, in a perfect traveling coat and spit-polished boots, right on time for their arrival. If someone like that is that insistent on doing anything with the likes of someone like us, then it must be important. Ask the right questions and you can find out how important. Ask very good questions and you may even be able to find out why it's important and to who. Sounds like this is an important adventure. We'll see you, lad. Now may bring for the constable and try not to talk too much. But it wasn't much of an adventure after all. Not for Tim, anyway. It was mostly spent in the overcrowded stables in the Amber Eerie, where Tim watched to make sure the magically conjured horses didn't vanish into thin air, or shrink, or explode. Tim didn't like the sound of that last possibility and dutifully manned his post. Almost the whole time. He would occasionally nick off to play at nights with the Eerie's grooms. They even took him up to see the eagles, once enough time had passed to be sure that the horses wouldn't explode, of course. Tim adored the eagles. They were massive, much bigger than the ravens traveling in and out of the quartermaster's tower, and equal parts beautiful and terrifying. Unlike the ravens, the eagles didn't serve the eerie folk. It was more of a peaceful coexistence, with the occasional pecking or taloning incident that comes with close proximity to such proud creatures. The other grooms warned not to get too close, but Tim couldn't help it. Somehow, he knew this was a creature to be treated with respect. He thought about the silent conversation between Stokeworth and Jace and tried to do the same with the eagle. I'm a friend. Tim tried to think, say, I respect you, eagle. The eagle, to Tim's surprise, turned to look at him, and Tim would swear it also tried to have the silent conversation. It bowed its head as if in acknowledgement, and Tim returned the bow. The other groom stood slack-jawed as the giant bird took flight, winging over a beaming Tim. When the boys returned to the stables, their eagle excursion over, they once again found the same number of unexploded, magically cloned horses, which meant Tim wouldn't even get the drama of being in trouble to shake his boredom. So it was that when Horsemaster Jace finally said again, Come on, lad, Tim was almost as excited to leave as he was to go. They returned without the constable, and no matter how hard he tried, Tim wasn't able to find the right questions to learn how important it was that he wasn't there. He definitely didn't know why. They didn't even bring any of the magic horses. It just copies, said the horsemaster. Hey, I look a thing, but I ain't a thing. I can tell the difference, and so will the weight of a plow or the thunder of a charge. No deal, sadly. After a long stretch of silence where no conversations were had, Tim yawned and thought aloud, It wasn't much of an adventure. Trust me, Tim. 
The horse master's voice was serious. Sometimes no adventure is a good adventure after all. Years after that day on the old Carl Road, Tim sat in a similar driver's box, but in an altogether different place, on an altogether different adventure. A real one with danger and death. Exhausted, bruised, and burned, Tim reflected on Chase's words of caution and wondered to himself if a life full of action and thrills just boils down to bad if you think about it too long. So far, things haven't exactly been cakes and cream since he left home. He was running out of fingers on which to count times I've nearly died. But alive he remained, and a quest he must complete. He gave his word, and what kind of person would he be if he gave up now? He was sure it boiled down to bad. He must return with the bow. First into the sky, then through a portal, then across the wasteland, both literally and figuratively, and now one more addition to the seemingly ever-growing list of subsections and footnotes to the pact he made with himself to become an adventurer. Somewhere in the dark wood before him was another being from home. Well, not his home, not Ravenscrest. But the same world and the same sky and the same land, which, after everything Tim had been through since the Dorlia made this mystery person basically family. Plus, Tim thought as he tore a bite of dried gator meat from the haunch left for them by the gargoyle doctor, this person could help with the nightmares. He desperately needed help with the nightmares. Not just the memories of the terror inflicted on him by the snake creature Nessica called a dream eater, but the haunting unease that permeated his mind each time he closed his eyes. Without a decent rest, he felt like the old temple clock tower, broken, neglected, and wrong more than right. Somehow he needed to shake the dark, wet, suffocating hold the black-eyed shadow had on his mind so he could focus on the task at hand. And that damned goat was always hanging around for some reason, too. A puzzle for another day, he thought, chomping on dried gator. Nessica was running late, or it felt like it anyway. Tim had agreed to stay with her cart and Buddha the horse thing as she traded with some locals for clothes and supplies. Tim pulled what remained of the girl's cloak around his bare shoulders, but it did little to help with the chill. That was another odd thing about this place. It wasn't necessarily cold by any means. There was always a chill. And always a haze. When Bright Peak Palace burned down, the vastness of the sprawling complex filled the sky around Raven's Crest with such smoke, the sun turned an eerie, muddy, orange-gray. That same unsettling color blanketed the clearing where he waited for Nazca. Udo grazed on sparse, twiggy shrubs that seemed to somehow suck color from the world around them, such was their blandness. Tim missed the rolling fields of barley cascading around the city walls set against a bright blue sky. He missed being around horses that he knew were called horses. No offense, Budo, Tim said to the thing who chewed grayscale sticks in response. Why'd you say to Budo? Nessica's voice gave Tim such a jolt he nearly fell out of the cart. Lords and ladies, you scared me. I didn't hear you coming. Yeah, I'm good at that. You should listen more carefully, though. We're not the only ones out here. Obviously. To emphasize her last word, she held up a bundle almost as big as she was. I'll be taking my cloak back now, please. 
She dropped the bundle next to the cart and began pulling mismatched garments from the pile and holding them before Tim, sizing him up. Hmm, I know humans are on the skinnier side, but still. She gave a mocking scoff. <sighs> Maybe I should have found some smaller traders. Tim hopped down from the cart and snatched a clearly appropriately sized tunic from her hands. Failing to notice her smirk, he also failed to notice how quickly it disappeared after he failed to notice. He did, however, fold the cloak into the best of his ability before setting it neatly on the cart. He was then very aware of his bare torso and hurriedly pulled the shirt over his head. She was part right, the garment hung loose over his long, tired arms, but it was well made and weighted nicely. Tim didn't mind the extra room, truth be told and always felt constricted when required to wear formal uniforms for special events. His instincts, oft reinforced by Jace's corrections, verbal and otherwise, pushed him to fix a problem as soon as possible. A flattering silhouette may look nice on a parade ground, but did little to aid in performing his duties. Exactly what those duties were at present flummoxed him, another unexpected wrinkle of being out on his own adventure. In a broad sense, yes, he knew what needed to be done, but having to figure out every single step in between. It was easier with Jace yelling at him. So what'd you say? Nessica packed the folded cloak away. Damaged though it was, it clearly meant something to her. Tim felt bad he didn't take better care of it during its brief time on his person. I'll have to make it up to her. Huh? Uh, oh, just thinking about horses. There's a surprise she said with a groan of exertion as she lifted herself onto the cart's bed. She took a bite from a hard, apple-like piece of fruit that appeared in her hand as if by magic. Noticing Tim's reaction, she casually revealed the sack cleverly hidden among the loose folds of her own sleeves. She changed her own shirt before she returned, choosing an oversized tunic of dark gray that softened the shine of her white hair. The sleeves billowed and hung wide, as she tucked a strand of white behind a long purple ear, the extra fabric gave her arm almost a wing-like appearance. Around her midsection, she added a wrap of black leather armor that looked originally made for someone at least heftier, if not taller. But she forced the extra protection after the carrion lion slash had reduced her previous garb to bloody rags. Her dark trousers full of snaps, buckles, and pockets remained from before as well as her worn-in traveling boots of which Tim was exceedingly jealous as he tried to find two matching shoes from the pile Essica had brought. Did you just grab everything they had and run? I didn't know your size. Settling for what he deemed as the best worst fit, Tim pulled on some mid-length boots of lizard leather. Thanks. I have to owe you. I, I, I lost my purse somewhere between realms. She stopped chewing and stared into the woods long enough for Tim to need to catch her attention with a wave. Huh? I can't pay you for the clothes. Not yet, anyway, but I will. Oh, sure. Don't worry about it. She hopped down, brushing past him to the extra items. All set? Tim cinched his sword belt, refixing the standard-issue Talon Infantry short sword to his person, and pulled on a pair of simple bracers. Though nothing more than strips of some little lizard hide, they were the first real pieces of armor he'd ever wore. He stood a little straighter. Yeah. Thanks again. With a yep of acknowledgement, 
She bundled the leftovers and tossed them into a bush. Hi. Just getting rid of what we don't need. Extra weight, whatnot. I guess it, it just seems like kind of a waste. One more thing. We have to do something about your head. My head? What's wrong with my head? A grin stretched across her face with alarming speed. Don't answer that. It's not your head exactly, but it's your ears. You're tall, and as we established, scrawny as a post. Aye, that'll help our ruse as a half-elf. Come here. As Tim approached, she took a cloth from one of her many pockets. Hat wouldn't hide your ears. Most hats here are made for them. I couldn't get my hands on a helm or anything else heavier. Well, bend down, you tree. I can't reach. He bent down to get his head closer to hers. She held the cloth in one hand and with the other smoothed some of his matted, dusty hair out of his face. Her touch was almost imperceptibly soft. This is a scarf sailors from my hometown would wear. Her tone was wistful, almost as if she were standing on a dock somewhere, staring out to sea. Folks will know it. And no one will question you wearing it. Lower, I need to tie the back. She wrapped his hair and covered the tops of his ears, pinning them back behind layers of black silk. You'll just pretend to be a sailor. There. She stepped back to get a look at him, cocking her head to one side and smirking. Maybe I can say I found you shipwrecked. Tim laughed. If there's one thing I know I'm not, it's a sailor. <laughs> but shipwrecked isn't a complete lie. There's shipwrecked half-elf. I've been called worse. Oh, I believe it. They stood there for a moment, smirking at each other and taking each other in. Tim felt like a backwoods theater version of a pirate and looked away towards the wood. Inside. Don't suppose the traitors gave you directions? Traitors? That you got the clothes from? Right. No. I had to move on quickly. But I did see a satyr track not far. And if the other brightsider saw it too, and they weren't as... new as you, they know that would be a good place to start for info. Well, gossip anyway. Aunt Satyr's more of a fairy thing. Tim's knowledge of the more exotic citizens of the world, or worlds, he corrected his thoughts, was limited at best. Stories and rumors with the odd luck of a discarded old field guide or manual pursued by candlelight until the pages fell apart. For the Empire, though, that mostly meant gnome battle tactics and the animosities between the peoples of the West, not goat men from fairylands. This place isn't so different, or that's what the legends say anyway. They used to be pretty much the same. Our sky wasn't always like this. The ground was more fertile. No one is still around from back then, of course, except maybe the mists themselves, but who really knows anything about them? And when your thieving wizard explorers return to your realm, they're monstrous goat men instead of playful wine cellars. I have a hard time believing a satyr is anything but monstrous, but the wine is accurate. Ugh, you know, for goat men, they really are pigs. Let's get this over with.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They took the cart as far as it would go before they reached the satyr track, a narrow, natural-looking slit through the tangled mess of dry, bare branches that make up the bulk of this wood. What passed for daylight rapidly retreated as they traveled, and by the time Nessica pushed aside the stray twigs at the trail's head, Tim could barely see. What is it? Come on, we're not far. I can hear the little shits are already into it. Without further hesitation, Nessica dipped into the trail. Tim followed as best he could, trying to focus on the back of her head as a glimmer of twilight gripped to her hair. The trail grew darker, however, and Tim soon found himself stumbling more than walking. Are you okay back there? Yeah, I, I, ow, ow, I, I just can't really ow, see, and there's lot twigs, and ow, that is a web, ow, 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 right, right in my face. Nessica sighed, and though he couldn't see it, Tim knew she rolled her eyes. Humans, I, uh, I keep forgetting how mundane you are. Here. Her hand locked in his, and Tim relaxed. Somehow her grip was firm and reassuring. It still had the softness he felt when she tied the scarf on his head. It was nice. It was less nice when she yanked him further down the trail. Before long, the darkness wasn't an issue. Yet his hand remained entwined with Nessica's as torchlight from the multicolored magical flames reflected in the woods, strobing as they moved through the trees. Resonant drums beat a propulsive rhythm, and aggressive flutes spat an erratic melody. Hoots, hollers, and excited conversation in a language Tim didn't understand filtered through the music. The trail started to widen, and Nessica relaxed from a stealthy creep into a cautious, slow walk. She gasped as a dark, furry shape burst from the trees next to her, and Tim pulled her closer with her gripped hands, and his free one went to the hilt of his sword, but she had already drawn her dagger with hers. Neither of them would need the blades, however, as the shape that unfurled before them only bleated with a shrieking guffaw, hiccuped, fell over asleep, and wine-stained spittle dripped from its mouth. Nessica rolled her eyes, and she stepped over the passed-out satyr, its nubby tail twitching in rhythm with its snores. The celebration of something was in full swing. With humanoid hands, the satyrs gripped their horn cups, curved drinking skins, flutes, or drumsticks. Their goat-like legs danced in drunken time with whatever beat they heard in their caprine ears. All the satyrs seemed to be a little shorter than Nessica, and quite shorter than Tim. Crude shell and bone jewelry hung from their necks, ears, and noses. Discarded wine jars, dirty plates, and other detritus littered the ground around the fire pits and small tents. Opposite where Tim and Nessica were wandering into the camp from the woods, a rocky cave opened into a hovel of some sort with more trash and more smells. But above the mouth of the cave, Tim saw it. He had never seen any wood like the exquisite curve of the stormtail bow. The rich, deep, Natural grain twisted and mixed with an electric blue streaks of lightning frozen in time. He was sure there could be nothing else like it in any world. 
And there above the cave entrance, he saw the same electric inlays that were burned into his memory from the last time he saw the bow. Careening toward the ground, the cube, Nessica, this whole mess. His eyes widened and he stepped forward, right into the puffed-up chest of a squat, ruby-cheeked satyr staring up at him with narrowed, glassy eyes and tight, furrowed lips. His ears flopped around as they searched for each new sound, but his eyes, with great and obvious effort, were fixed on Tim, as were his small but very sharp-looking horns. Oh, sorry, I didn't see you there. Tim didn't need to understand language to know that whatever the satyr said in response wasn't kind. He bumped Tim with his chest, knocking Tim back a step. I, I'm not, I'll just... The satyr kept insulting him, or what Tim assumed were insults, and the music stopped. Crowd gathered and cheers started to go up. Tim spent enough time around the barracks to know a fight chant when he heard one. He didn't want to fight the satyr. First, despite the height advantage, he wasn't sure of the little creature's strength if it got inside his reach. Its legs were spindly, but its upper body seemed to be one of the more muscular of the group, biceps flexing as it jabbed an accusing finger into Tim's chest. Tim was more concerned about the horns. If this guy got a good run at him, he'd better dodge or he could add two large puncture wounds to his growing collection of scars. I, I really don't want to- Nessica? A woman's voice cut through the din, turning the heads of the small crowd around them, and from the group of revelers dancing near a blue fire stepped a drow. She was a little taller than Nessica, with similarly purple skin but bright orange hair and longer, sharper features. Her icy blue eyes widened into saucers of shock and excitement, and she stared at Nessica as though she had just discovered an ancient treasure. Oh my gods, Nessica and Harris, I can't believe it's you! Here! Alren, why, why, why are you... This is absolute madness. N Ness, I can't... No way did I expect to see Nessica and Harris at a satyr bacchanal. The drow called Alren waved her arms at her sides as she rushed towards Nessica, hoping for an embrace. Oh, now what is happening here? Neither of them realized that they were still holding hands. Nessica raised hers as if she had found it covered in mud, and then shook Tim off to continue the metaphor. Um, nothing, just half sailor, just a halfy sailor I found shipwrecked on the other side of the bogs. Alren's eyes sparkled with glee. Right, right, well, Ness, I don't believe that for a second, but you are going to tell me all about it as we drink these satyr's wine like we did when we broke into my cousin's tavern. Come on. As she replaced Tim's hand with hers and started to lead Nessica away, the satyr who confronted Tim snorted and bleated something in their odd language. Don't worry, Christos, this is my very old and very naughty friend Nessica and her sailor. Tim didn't care for the implication that came with the way that she said sailor. Nonetheless, her opinion seemed to matter to the satyr, and he backed off with a snort and a shrug. He snatched a wineskin from his nearest mate and squeezed its contents into his mouth. He then tossed it to Tim, thumped his chest, and bleated to the crowd, who echoed his yell and the music returned. Tim scowled and looked down at the wineskin in his hands, then to Nessica, but it was too late. Her old friend was already pulling her away to a more secluded part of the camp to catch up on old times and shared experience. As Alren whispered and giggled into her ear, Nessica couldn't do anything but shrug and yell back at him, Try to have some fun! Isn't that part of adventures too? The erratic movement of beastmen surrounded him. Oh sure, thanks, Des, just gonna hang out with my new pals here. 
Hey, how's it going? Yeah, I don't understand you either. No, yeah, hi. Yeah, no, already have it. Yeah, thanks. The drinking horn was shoved into his open hand as the crowd around him for the almost fight returned to dancing around the fires. Tim stood at the edge of the celebration and felt very alone. He swayed awkwardly in an attempt to get into the music, but quickly gave up and shrank back into the shadows where he took a swig from the wineskin. The contents were horribly sour, and Tim nearly spat it right out, but forced himself to swallow in fear of offending anyone and getting run through by Christos and his buds. The wine warmed his throat on the way down, and despite the taste, he took another pull from the skin, and that was how he spent what felt like the next several hours, but was in fact only a few minutes. Sway, feel dumb, stop, sip, repeat. After his personal eternity, he got the courage to wander closer to the glimmering wood above the cave. He didn't want to draw too much attention to himself, so he stayed at the edges of things around where the light from the fires fell off into the darkness of the wood and looked past the groups of revelers to observe from a casual distance. It was the same wood. He was sure of it. Now that he was closer, he could even see small sparks crackling from the inlays. The block was crudely carved into the shape of what could be letters or some kind of symbol. Its place of prominence further suggested whatever this was had some kind of power or importance. But what was something like that doing here? Did it also come from this world? Was it actually connected to the Stormtail bow, or was this just some kind of coincidence? He took another pull from the skin. The line was growing on him. Past the cave, he saw Alrin and Messica sitting on an overturned log. Alrin bounced and bobbed as she told some story that made Nessica laugh despite herself. She looked at Alrin with this same sideways glance that she sometimes gave to Tim. The multicolored firelight shimmered in her hair and looked like the way the moon would reflect off the Wintersong River onto the marble stone of the temple walls back home. Tim smiled too and softly chuckled whenever she did, even though he could barely hear himself over the music, let alone whatever they were saying all the way across the party. He never really thought about who Nessica's friends were, but now he suddenly had so many questions. In their travels through the woods, she got him talking about himself and Ravenscrest, and he missed it so much he didn't notice how much he was jabbering. He just thought she was private or shy or embarrassed about why she can't do magic. He was being polite, not intrusive. He really needed to ask her about herself. Beautiful, isn't it? Another surprise woman's voice startled him. He was getting sick of this trend. He wheeled around on the source of the sound and his hand dropped the wineskin and gripped his sword hilt. Tim found himself looking into a pair of disarmingly blue eyes, actually looking into them. This woman was tall. She smiled at him. I'm, I'm sorry, What? Tin turned back to look at Nessica, then back at the woman. She was an elf. That much was for sure. Not a drow like Nessica, or a wood elf like Fletch Stormtail. She was long and lean, with features that demanded to be described as elegant, and wore a long black dress embroidered with silver-threaded images of trees and flowers and vines. It somehow wasn't dirty. Her presence exuded authority, but her face had the warmth and familiarity of an old friend. She was a high elf. A high elf from his world. Beautiful, she said again, and grabbed his chin with slender, dexterous fingers to turn his face back to where he was looking. 
Tim felt for sure she turned his head back to Nessica, but then she guided his gaze up to the block. I caught you staring. Uh, yeah, it's it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. There isn't much like it in this world. Or any other world, for that matter. You know, that what comes from a tree that was struck by lightning? Plants are kind of my thing, and this particular tree and this particular lightning were very special. Trust me. I believe you, miss. Tim wasn't sure what the elf was playing at. She didn't seem to be a threat to him, but he just felt off. She was so gorgeous, that dress, just the way she used her limbs as she moved, and the black hair like raven's feathers. It's it's something else, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Do you have any idea what it takes for a tree to hang on to lightning like that? In all my studies, books are kind of my thing too. Plants and books, well, they were, anyway, until recently. Anyway, in all my studies, I never came across a tree that was able to hold lightning until one day one just walked into my home. Can you believe it? But the tree didn't walk in, though that is technically possible. She giggled again. It's this lady's deal. She picked up the wineskin and took her own pull, sighed in satisfaction, and then handed it back to him. But I don't have to tell you that. She pulled her bare shoulders up to her ears and pointed one hand at Tim's chest and the other at her own. Druids, she said as if it were a code between them. Tim must have betrayed his confusion with his face because the broad smile vanished from hers as she saw his reaction. I'm sorry, miss. I'm just a stable half-elf sailor who shipwrecked near the bogs. The smile returned and she took a step back to look at him. Tim's hand once again moved toward his sword hilt. <laughs> right, a sailor and a half-elf, of course. And your friend? She found me. It wasn't a lie, necessarily, though technically Tim found her. The elf looked him in the eyes with her always-smiling stare. There was something in those eyes, something Tim just could not understand. Wait! The silent conversation. Was this that? All those years ago, Jace warned him. Someone fancy like Stokeworth was talking to people like them. But if I did know what you were talking about, then maybe we could help each other. I'm sorry, miss, but I have a hard time imagining anything I could help you with. I mean, look at you. She feigned embarrassment and did a half-hearted curtsy at his compliment. Even if I were a... Druid. You don't know who I am and I have no idea who you... I'm Amara Mirrorin. And you're the boy who's going to help me steal that chunk of wood. D&D&D is a Moorpark Media podcast and a Spotify preferred partner. Written and edited by me, James Gressel. D&D&D is performed by James A. Janice, Chelsea Rebecca, Beth Bradloff, and Mike Sagan. 